Welcome to the Octopi Podcast. On this episode, Gene and Matt sit down to talk about something facing a lot of people around the world right now. Burnout. Where does it come from? What does it look like? And how do you deal with it? All that and more right now. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Octopi Podcast. I am Matt. I am joined today once again by the lovely Gene. Say hello, Gene. Hello, Gene. <laughs> well played. Today, we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and really was inspired by something that I listened to recently that got me thinking a lot. And I think it has a lot to do with the work that we do, but I think it's just really relevant in general to a lot of people in today's day and age, which is burnout. And I'm curious, uh, I, think, I think each of us has had a different experience with it. And I'm curious to, I guess, first of all, Gene, I'll start with you, of what has your experience been with burnout? Have you experienced it? And if so, what's it kind of been like for you? That's a really good question. I'd be interested to know if there's anyone out there between the ages of 25 and 35 who would say no to this question. But yes, hard yes. I think it's something that I've seen many times. I had many years, I think, like many of us, where I swore I wasn't possible. I was invincible. I was going to do it all. It was fine. You know, I think to college when I was taking, you know, 18 credits and I was in the student senate and I was president of the pledge class and I was working at a law firm and I was nannying turn cash and, 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 <laughs> and thought I was superwoman and that I would never slow down and that I would never burn out, I guess. I don't think burnout was something that I knew about until I got more into advocacy and more organized structures. And then it was actually actively talked about. And I realized kind of like, oh, yeah, I can see why this would be a lot. I don't think it ever really hit me until I got away from it all. Mm. What do you mean got away from it all? Like left the US or just left doing so many jobs at once? Well, those things happen simultaneously. So for <laughs> context, when I yeah. studied abroad my junior year, for the first time in my life, I didn't have a job since I was like 12. You know, we had family businesses. I was always helping from the time I was very young. And so when I went and studied abroad, in case you aren't aware, studying abroad is significantly cheaper than most schools stateside. And so mm. if you were a grant recipient like me, your grants covered all of your study abroad and then some. So it was actually much cheaper to go abroad than it was to stay in the States that year. And for the first time ever, yeah, I didn't need to work and couldn't work also because I was on a student visa. So all of a sudden I had time and I like, didn't know what to do. I felt really <laughs> weird and awkward. And um, that's, I guess, when it hit me of like I, my first slap in the face of reality around burnout was I didn't know what to do with myself if I wasn't busy. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you bring up something that a lot of people don't realize, which I think is sometimes you don't realize you're burned out till you're not, which is kind of the opposite of what I think most people think of, which is this kind of crash moment that you have when you break down. And I think like you and I were talking a little earlier and you mentioned like something small just triggers you of like, oh my gosh, my shoelace came untied and I tripped and now it's all wet. And the world hates me and everything like all of a sudden, just like this huge blow up over something really small and insignificant. But I think that's what you raise a really good point of like, sometimes we're so conditioned to stay burnt out, to just stay so busy, to keep our minds occupied. I remember, I mean, you and I grew up in very similar ways in the sense of always busy, 
in our family, you had to, every season you had to play a sport. You, you got to pick what it was, but you had to play a sport. Um, you also had to be doing something musical. So you could be in the choir, you could be in the band, but you had to choose something musically to do. And then on top of that, you were always in student council or something like that. And so all these clubs and orgs on top of sports, on top of classes. And so, you know, from, I would say starting in middle school, when you can start doing all those things, that was when it really kicked up. And just like you, when I got to a point where I wasn't doing all those things all the time, it was a weird feeling. And you just, you feel a bit lost and you're just like, oh, so this is what normal life is like. This is what people do on a regular basis. They just hang out and go to party. Like it was weird. It was very (laughs) (laughs) uncomfortable position to be in when I found myself. Uh, And that, that happened to me weirdly, like early in college. And then I got back and like, I I couldn't do it. I found myself gravitating back towards that stay busy lifestyle. So I went from Mm. freshman year having nothing on my plate to then I walked onto the track team so I could at least say that I was doing sports again. And from there it was like, oh, here's a job. And on top of that, here's a second job because that job doesn't give me enough hours. Oh, and then Mm -hmm. on top of that, I'm going to start volunteering for this club on the side. And then on top of that, now I'm going to play another sport. And now I'm going to be in student senate. And so by the time senior year rolled around, I was playing basketball. I was on the student senate again. I was in student activities, holding another position. I had two other jobs at the rec center and Kohl's. And it was like just back to what it felt like when I was in high school once again. And then I think you have that moment of, well, this is dumb. And that's kind of what I got to towards the end of graduation when I graduated and suddenly I had nothing going on. And it makes it really hard, I think, when you get used to it and then suddenly there's none of it. Yeah, for sure. Why now, looking back, do you think that was the norm or the expectation set in your family to Um, be athletic and simultaneously musical and busy? I think it's this perception that... And I don't know if it's just my parents or if it was their generation that they were raised in, but like for our family, being really well-rounded was a thing. I think that was the big fear was my parents would see these families where a kid would grow up and only focus on music. And then they'd go really hard. They were actually kind of, it's possible they were fearing burnout, which is hilarious, but they would go (laughs) like way too hard on music and then hate music by the time they could do it as a profession. And suddenly they're like, well, now what do I do with my life? And kind of the same mm. thing with sports. If you pick to focus on just one sport, you got really good at that, but maybe you didn't enjoy it anymore, or you only developed one skill set, and maybe you weren't as good of a teammate. So I think for us, it was just a really big, you need to be well-rounded. And so it was like, well-rounded didn't mean you tried different things. It meant you do all of them simultaneously. And I think that's yeah. kind of the difference I don't know, what was your experience? Because you were very similar to me, right? In like that you were involved in a lot of things, played a lot of sports and things like that, right? Yeah, and the fact that you, the one you were talking about, I realized like on top of what I've already mentioned, like I ran a student volunteer organization and I was in, you know, so many clubs and other things. And I'm thinking, I'm terrible with organization in the classic sense of like, I don't never been able to keep an agenda or an app or anything to keep me organized. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, I cannot for the life of me remember how I managed to get all that done and <laughs> not missed up all of the time back then. Yep. Because now I have a tenth of that amount of chaos and responsibility in my life, and I still feel like I fail at it. So for me, I think, and maybe this is tainted, but 
I think for my parents, it was keeping us busy. I don't think they were as worried about us being well-rounded, although that might sound good. It may be a good tagline. Keep your kids well-rounded. I think it was more of like they were swamped and, you know, parents were having to work and they were really busy and they didn't want us to get into trouble. And I think a really legitimate parenting technique for a while was if you keep your kids insanely busy, they can't fall into the wrong crowd. They can't sit around and get into drugs. Mm -hmm. So keep them really busy and trying to work towards something and achieve something. And then your parenting gets easier. Well, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about that. But I, I mean, I know that when I was little, activities were my daycare, which is yeah. to say, just like you're mentioning with my parents busy during the summer times, especially, it's hard for a lot of the, the working parents that I know of how do you manage having the kids at home? And I know COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in that because that's kind of become just full-time reality for a lot of people. But prior to that, it was, that only happened in the summer. And for us, my parents would just get a membership. I remember this vividly because it was every summer, basically from like fourth grade or third grade up until high school, which was every summer, my parents would get all of us kids a pass to the pool and they would enroll us in swimming lessons in the morning. You'd start at like 8.15 and the water was freezing and I hated it, but we would be at the pool from like eight in the morning and then you just stayed there and you, they would give us money to get lunch at the like concession stand there. And we would just stay there. And, and by the time I got to middle school, my sisters were old enough. They just became lifeguards. So I was basically getting babysat by my older sisters the entire time. Oh, yeah. And it was that way a lot of the time. So, you know, that would happen in the summertime during the day. And then in the evenings throughout the year, if I wasn't doing something, we'd go to the YMCA and I would just like go play basketball and they just dropped me off. I'd scan in, I would go to the gym and I would just, you know, stay busy playing basketball or whatever for a few hours. And that was kind of the equivalent of daycare. So I think it's just interesting that you bring that up because I hadn't thought about the <laughs> stay busy aspect. <laughs> if it was keeping kids out of trouble or just keeping them away from me for a little bit, I think there's mm -hmm. a little bit of that too. So that's kind of, yeah. What's your experience been like as a working adult with burnout? Have you experienced, because I know you stay super busy. Have you felt yourself getting burnt out by doing one of the 19 jobs that you have? Actually, yes. I will say one of my first full-time remote roles um, was in a sales role that, you know, kind of brought you in with this promise of unlimited paid time off and no mm. concept that you had to get permission to do that. And no one ever got permission to take time off <laughs> and mm. you could work whenever you wanted, but that also meant you had to be available pretty much anytime. And with where I would live, um, you know, I can remember this one day and I was in Cape Town and I got off a call with this woman in Hawaii at 5 a.m. And I had to get up at 7 a.m. to have a conversation with somebody in L.A. And that was kind of the way it went. And I realized at some point along the way, I think well past it. And after ignoring many, many a friend and loving, you know, person in my life who looks at me and said, this is crazy. You can't do this. You're working too much. You're doing too much. And I was, but I was a very, you know how I talk about high functioning alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I'm a high functioning workaholic. Mm. If necessary, I can be burnt out for months and years on end. I think I was talking to a naturopathic chiropractic kind of doctor the other day. And 
he was saying how there's these little injuries in your body and you can go and go and go and go for a really, really long time and not know how bad it is. But only when you finally stop, does your body actually let you know just how hard it is. Yeah. And I think I'm that kind of workaholic. Oh, I, I believe that. It reminds me of that thing of eating, right? Of if you eat really fast, you can eat more because it takes time for your body to realize how much you've been eating and send that signal to your brain. And I feel like it's similar to what you're describing with your body and burnout of not realizing how much you've been doing it until it takes that breath and goes, oh, wow. Yeah, you have been really burning the candle at both ends. Why do you think it's so prominent these days for, and especially in younger generations, which I find super ironic because there are so many people in older generations who look at millennials, Gen Zers, et cetera, and go, oh, they're soft. Oh, they don't actually want to work. They're not hard workers. Yet we're constantly, as a generation, more burnt out than the generations before us. So I'm curious to see what your opinion is of why do you think this is so common in these generations versus, you know, 30 to 40 years ago, the, the, the workforce that was our age? Well, first, I think it's also culturally relative. So mm -hmm. it's a really important thing to call the difference between work overload and overworking and burnout. What I will say to that is I think overwork is for sure it's a temporary thing and it doesn't affect your overall physical, mental well-being and your relationships with food, humans, people, outdoor life, activities. When I think of burnout, I think of those things are suffering, right? My mental health, my physical health, my relationships, my food. I am doing so much and I'm able to do 90 hours of work that week, but I can't do anything else. I think for me, that's the kind of boundary. Um, and I think the reason why we got here is, especially in the United States, it is a very, you know, kind of the old adage of pull yourself by your bootstraps has changed. You know, it could have meant be that loyal company man who like climbs in at 19, works his way up, has a steady nine to five. You know, when you get in, you know, when you get home and you have kind of a routine that is, although can be grueling and often in the past, physically laborsome, but it was set. And there was not the concern of today's schedule, which is sure, one week you're on nine to five, then maybe you're asked to be on five to nine, or maybe you're remote, but we all know that means you're kind of supposed to be connected from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And yeah. all of these other requirements on us to pull that same simple thing off of having enough to provide for your family and reach success. And yet we haven't defined success as a generation, as Americans. We talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We talk about the American dream, but the amount that salaries have increased over the last 30 years as opposed to inflation and the cost of living is just alarming. Yeah. Something that you said just reminded me too of, there is almost this constant in the back of your mind feeling of pressure this with this generation more than other ones and it's just a reality it's not saying it's okay it's not saying anything like that it's not blaming anyone else but it is to say statistically this generation has graduated from university with more student debt and just more debt in general than any generation before and i believe this is I have to find, if I can find the article, I'll link it in the podcast. But I believe the millennial generation is the first generation in 
at least U.S. history, that is projected to do worse than the generation before them. And I think there's just this constant feeling of, in the back of my mind, I know that it's not enough. Whatever I do now is not enough because I'm trying to constantly dig myself out of a hole. I've constantly got to worry about, on top of everybody else's normal concerns of paying rent, cover utilities, things like that. I've got to pay my car loan if I have one of those. If you don't, great. But then on top of that, if you are, especially in the US, graduating from university, I you know, have a ton of debt that I'm just losing every single time. And so that's taking up some space in the back of my mind of, on top of normal concerns, I'm also always wondering, am I doing something wrong? Am I ever gonna be out from under the shadow that is debt that I'm carrying with me? And I think that contributes to it. And I think that's a driver for a lot of us of, you see a lot of people who now want want to immediately fast track who will like, you know, that's what one thing I hear a lot of times when I work with companies and leadership teams specifically when they're looking at hiring, they go new generations don't want to put in pay their dues. And I think there is definitely truth to that. And we can get into that on another podcast, but I think part of that is they don't want to be stuck at this salary. That's barely making a dent in what they have, amassed trying to just land this job as justification to be eligible to work here. And that I think is a big part of it. Like if you were paying someone a really good living wage to do some entry level work, I think they would be okay taking that more so than if you paid them the very minimum, like a lot of companies do and expect them to want to sit in that same position and quote, pay their dues. And so I think that just weighing on their brains is a big piece of the burnout as well. That's a really good point that you bring up about financial influences on burnout. I couldn't agree more that things like student debt, as well as a rising cost of living in the cities that people want to do work in, is having unforeseen long-term consequences on people's overall mental health and well-being. But another big part of it is I think this, am I doing enough? Sure, it's to cover the bills. But unfortunately, I think we have wires crossed. I think too many of us say, am, we say, am I doing enough? Am I achieving enough? Am I successful enough? But the really core question that we all are so insecure about is, am I enough? Mm. Yeah. Am I enough to make my parents proud? Am I enough to attract and keep a partner? Am I enough to want to be a parent or to be a good parent? Or am I good enough? Am I worthy of the space I take up on this planet? Yeah. And I think we've exacerbated that with social media because I can constantly, whereas previous generations, it was, you know, quote, keeping up with the Joneses may have meant that you had a rich neighbor down the street and you would see their car in the driveway occasionally. Or if you got invited to a party over to their house, they would show off the house and that kind of thing. But beyond that, unless you physically went to go see them and interact with them, they weren't top of mind. You weren't exposed and reminded, hey, guess what? You don't have as much as this person. Guess what? You're not doing as fun of things as these people. And we now have this access to people's lives, this window into people's lives. And it's not even a window anymore. It's actually a projector that's going into your brain of look what I'm doing. Look how much fun I'm having. I have no problems. I'm traveling the world. I'm taking vacations. I got a new car. I got a new house. 
I have a new motorcycle, like, right. It's this focus on, you know, more and more and more. And to your point, it's this reminder that whatever insecurities you have are just amplified of, I feel like not enough. I feel like a failure because I'm not doing X, Y, Z, which previous generations never or very, very rarely actually put thought and, and energy into because they just, they weren't surrounded by it. And so I think that's something that has really been a big driving factor for us as well is that I know for me personally, I look at some of the people who I, you know, I, I look for kind of people who are worthy of comparison and even some people who are not worthy of it, but I still compare myself <laughs> to. And I look at and say, I wish I, I, my company was as big as this person, or I wish I was as famous as this person. I wish I had as much money as this person. Oh, I wish I was traveling as much. And so rather than following our instincts on what comes natural and what we enjoy doing and putting our time and energy towards that, we look at all these other avenues and we never shut any of them off and focus on one. We try and keep all of our doors open and keep chasing all of the dreams simultaneously. And I think that's a big thing too, because I, yeah. you and I have both been in that remote work piece where we've moved around mm -hmm. and kind of lived that lifestyle that is very Instagrammable, that sounds luxurious when everybody's like, oh my gosh, you, you are working from, you know, Columbia today. You, were, you, you mentioned Cape Town earlier. And it, it's a bit of a high when people will message you or you'll be on a call and someone just goes, oh my God, I just wish I could do what you do. And you get that rush of like, yeah. I'm doing something right, you know, but then you are all still, while you're doing that thing, you're still comparing yourself to everyone else in the other parts of life that they're getting to do. Right. So like I give up when I go travel and, and do this remote work thing, I kind of give up the idea that I want to own a house and have a car because those things are useless in this different, you know, way of living. Yeah. But I still look at other people having those things and I go, Oh, someday, you know, and then I like, put this yeah. pressure on myself to have all those things that make zero sense to me that have nothing to do with the lifestyle that I've chosen because I refuse to close the door on uh, the things that I am not prioritizing at the moment. And I think that's been a huge thing that I hadn't really put together till we've had this conversation. So it's, it's, I know it's personally affected me. I can't speak for anyone, but I think that's been a big thing for when I felt burnout for sure. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, what do you do? How do you try to self-correct when you realize you're burning or have burnt out? Um, so I'm, I am more introvert than extrovert. So I, I need a lot of space with just my thoughts, which can also be a bad thing. But I, oh yeah, yeah, I will, I will <laughs> just ask for time and grace from people. I'll just, you know, say, hey, here's what's going on. Getting back into physical activity has been really helpful for me. And it's not one of those things that I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, I just need to get to the gym and work through my, my stuff. Like, that's not the approach I have. I just miss being active sometimes because I grew up an athlete. And so I'll get there. And there is just, you know, the chemical releases in your body when you exercise and things like that, you feel a lot better. You're reminded I am more than a brain. And I think that's another thing that I wanted to, to mention is we are in a generation, you mentioned this earlier of like physical labor being a lot, you know, tiring when you get home at the end of the day, but you can shut it off. I think we these days, there is a higher percentage of, I guess I'll say brain work 
than in previous generations yeah. of, you know, it's, it's, you've got copywriters, you've got website designers, graphic design, a lot of things that are done via computer or, you know, on the phone, things like that. Whereas mm -hmm. previous generations, it was a lot of what you described of you go to the factory, you work until it closes and then you come home and you physically can't take work with you. There may be some things that bugged you that happened during the day, things like that, but you cannot just, go home and like build car parts, uh, right? It's not a just, thing. That just sounds so, can you even imagine going home, like leaving work in a place, like a physical place, removing yourself from that place. And then I like, I'm tripping over my own tongue trying to explain, I can't even fathom, never. I, yeah. I really can't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been such a long I'm, time. I'm sure it exists, like and for sure there are people who still do it for absolutely, but I think to your earlier point, those are not the folks who are burning out as millennials. These are not the folks that we're talking about. And while there is definitely lots of complications, I think there is this idea in yoga that the reason why we work through a flow and, and get into different parts of our body and activate all these different muscles is that by doing that in sync with our breath, we can actually focus on that, let our bodies release and then be still mm -hmm. and be calm and be present, which is the opposite of burnout. What is the opposite of all of these kind of chaos and overly busy childhoods and college and remote working careers that we've spoken to. When I think about burnout, one of the things as we spoke to, you know, with sports and time of, of rejuvenating is how do you prevent it? We've both had it. So what do you do mm -hmm. in your daily life to prevent yourself from being burnt out again? Good question. And, and I, I'll preface by saying I don't have a ton of self-discipline when it comes to this stuff. Like, I can't shut my brain off. I, I try not to set a bad example with work with my teams that I work with, mm -hmm. especially if I'm in a leadership role. I don't want people thinking there's an expectation that they're online until super late. So when it comes to like, messaging or emails. I try not to email people at random hour. I try and keep those during the daytime, which has helped me quite a bit actually. And I try to, if I have work to do in the evening, make sure that it's solo work. But I think for me, the thing that keeps me quasi disciplined because I have none and I will always just do the thing is creating a, a calendar. Like I am nowadays pretty religious about maintaining and updating my calendar so that people cannot book calls or something like that at certain times. And as soon as I know I need to do something when I'm at my best, I will block time on my calendar to get that thing done so that I'm not doing it in the evening. So that I, and it's not that I shut my brain off. I, I, I don't like when people pretend you can do that. I mean, maybe oh. people can, I just can't, but I say it's shifting the focus <laughs> of your brain. Right. And so instead of saying, cause like if you shut your brain off, you're dead, but if you are shifting the <laughs> focus and shifting the focus to being present in the moment at night, that's different. And that's mm -hmm. what I try to do. And so for me, yeah. it's like the calendar allows me to do that. What about you? What are the ways that you kind of deal with and manage that in your life? Well, let me say now I need to request some time on your calendar to talk about making me a calendar. Cause that sounds like a brilliant thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> anytime. Anytime. Um, for me, um, I uh, jokingly call myself a recovering perfectionist, which I think is related to this overly ambitious need to be busy and do things and overwork and, you know, easy mm -hmm. to burn out um, yep. or easy for me to get to a place where I'm burning myself out. Because I think that's part of it. It's a choice, right? 
we never have to burn out. We are often afraid when we're young that if we say no or we say we we don't take vacation, that will impress people and we'll be okay. But ultimately, it's a choice. And I think acknowledging your role, acknowledging that you have the power to say no, to request that vacation, to take time off, to say no to that project, to turn your phone off, most of us don't give ourselves that permission. So first, I think it's acknowledging you have that power and choosing to avoid being and letting yourself burn out. And for me, a part of that is getting comfortable with how uncomfortable I am in silence, mm-hmm. trying to allow myself to wander and be weird and have no set thing to accomplish for a half an hour. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously for me, a big part of that is getting to the yoga studio, doing enough practice, um, constantly learning and growing um, spiritually and physically. and in philosophy, which I think is very fascinating because if you read, you know, ancient texts, they're, they're talking about stuff that is just as relevant today as it was when they wrote it in 200 BC. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess that's part of it. I'm, I'm working on it. I haven't been burnt out in a while. I hope to not burnt out again in the future, but part of it's maybe accountability buddies. So you can help me with your calendar and I'll give you hell to be nice to yourself as well. Sold. I love it. Well, and and you bring up a good point. I think one of the other things that I find when I find myself feeling my best is when I feed my mind something new. So especially reading. It's so easy for me to just go watch another rerun of Parks and Rec on Netflix <laughs> and I will be content, but it does nothing for me to like make me feel progress or like I'm I'm doing better. It doesn't lessen the burden of burnout but I love that you brought up like reading something is huge for me. Um, and so if you can be my accountability buddy for how much have you been reading lately, that is big for me because it makes me feel like I'm learning something new, takes up that brain space that might otherwise just be screaming at me. And then I also feel like I'm making progress. That's the other thing that like, I think for me personally, a lot of my burnout comes from is when I allow myself to your point you made earlier of like, to stay busy and just mm-hmm. say yes to all of the meetings, yes to all of the calls. If I don't manage my calendar, um, I have no time to feel like I'm making progress towards anything. I just feel like I'm treading water. And so mm-hmm. I think reading helps me feel like I'm moving towards something. I don't know why, but it just makes me feel like mm-hmm. that. So, Well, um, guys, we've just uh, unearthed a future podcast conversation about why is it that we need to feel like we're accomplishing things to be doing okay. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. With that left for a different day, do you have una cosita más that you would like to share regarding burnout in the general millennial, but just modern day world? Yes. Um, I don't have any more recommendations. I feel like we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. some, some good ways to start, but I did, the, the, I'll share the, what inspired this topic for me. And, and I, they dive deeper into some things that I think are, are interesting. They talk about a lot of the stuff we talked about. Um, but it was an audible book that I listened to by Anne Helen Peterson, which was based on something she wrote, a piece that she wrote. I think she used to work at Bud, BuzzFeed. I don't know if she still works there. I don't know. But it's called The Burnout Generation. It's available on, on Audible. It's not huge. It's less than like two hours total. It's an Audible original. So it's not like they're just narrating a book for five or seven hours. Um, and, and she actually has on there, it's almost like a podcast in that she records interviews with some of the people that she talks oh. about and they share their perspectives live. So it was really interesting. And she has different people on there to talk about how it's personally affected them. And something that we didn't get into that I think is really relevant, and I recommend uh, 
one of the things I recommend for you to listen to in this audible book, if you do it or read the book, I think it is actually a a book as well, is that they get into the gig economy and, you know, freelance work and permalance work and how that in itself, right? The unknowing of companies not wanting to pay you on a consistent basis and give you that or maybe you wanting that freedom and flexibility of freelance and gig and the actual impact that that has on you and your burnout because you have to say yes to things. Otherwise you don't know where your next meal is coming from. I think that's super fascinating and that's more prevalent today than I think 30 to 50 years ago. So if you want to learn more about that, um, she even has a, a section where she interviews a pastor and talks about burnout in the church, which was really fascinating to me. Um, even though I'm not a religious person, I think it's really fascinating to hear that perspective. And so, yeah, I, I think if you're, if this is something that's interesting to you, would recommend that on Audible. If you have Audible, uh, I think on Amazon, you can also just get the book if you want to do that, if you're a reader. So that is my uh, Cosita Mas. Very good. Excellent. What about sure. you? Any, any final recommendations? Talk more about it. I think mm. that's just for any of these things that tend to plague you solo and get magnified if they sit in silence in the back corners of our brain. And while it's great for introverts to work through it to a certain extent and have that space, there's comfort knowing you're not alone and it's going to be different. But if you have a trusted friend, sibling, cousin, online chat buddy or pen pal who you can talk about the differences between overworking and boundaries and burnout and how to take care of yourself, find somebody and talk about it because you're definitely not alone and there's power in acknowledging what it is and solutions to be found there in that communication. I love that. Perfect way to end. Well, thank you, Jean, for a great conversation today. And Thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next time on the Octopi Podcast. Bye.